what happened to that boy? He was talking shit. We put a curse into that boy. That's right, because we're America's most cursed podcast, the pod people. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and yeah, I got an ectoplasmic worm to show you. <laughs> I'm Ben Sheets, the uh, tinfoil hat enthusiast. And I'm the Neroying Orange. Or oh, you can oh, no. or you can call me Cleveland Mosier. Oh, I don't even know what that oh. is. You know, I, I, I've heard it like talked about before, but I, I don't think I ever even saw it. Man, talk about a meme that is as old as this movie we're about to talk about. <laughs> right? <laughs> Fucking annoying orange. Jesus Christ. What a pull, my dude. Uh, <laughs> we are old. <laughs> we are old. <laughs> we are old. But you know what? As old men, we like to watch a scary movie. Isn't that right? True. Yeah. And uh, this is, uh, you know what? Technically, this is our Christmas episode. So happy uh, to all of our listeners, happy Crimbus. If you celebrate, if you don't, that's cool too. Happy winter. Yeah, Unless Christmas. you live in the Southern Hemisphere. And then happy... Uh, Chrysler, Marvel clan Happy bake, December. Whatever happy you December. want. Yeah. This is a, I think this is our first time on uh, the podcast not doing a Christmas-themed movie mm-hmm. for, uh, for our Christmas episode. But uh, we've really been scraping the bottom of the barrel with those. Uh, so we decided, fuck it. We're just going to do a regular episode. And I think we're going to be better for it. Because uh, it's my pick. And I chose a J-horror found footage film from 2005. Who's Jay? He's uh, Silent Bob's friend. Oh, wow. Y'all, y'all did that at the end of the last episode. <laughs> we did. Oh, my God. It's and I a... think it was in the same context. <laughs> <laughs> I think... <laughs> it's a callback. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Continuity. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's a fundamental, like, ruling comedy. <laughs> Repeat shit. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Rule of uh, thirds, yep. right? R- Silent Bob. Rule of joke. There we go. Tell joke. Well, the most important comedy rule. The film that the film that we're going to be talking about, uh, as I mentioned, is a, a 2005 Japanese found footage horror film called Noroi, uh, or The Curse in English. Uh, it is directed by Koji Shiraishi, and it stars Jin Maraki, Ryo Kano, Tomonga Kuga, and Mariko Matsumoto. This is easily one of my favorite Japanese horror films, and one of my favorite found footage horror films. But this was both of y'all's first time seeing this. Yeah, I'm um, inclined to agree. Yeah, I, I, I would like just some of y'all's initial thoughts. We chatted about a little bit after the movie, but tried to... Well, to... for such an early found footage movie, it's impressively unique and kind of cracking the barrier of you know, what a found footage movie is. Like, Blair Witch came out five or six years before this, Mm -hmm. but this movie takes those ideas and kind of uses them to a really cool degree in that, like, it really pushes the envelope and uses kind of a narrative of archival footage sequences i guess you could say like though the whole idea of the paranormal investigator and his tapes and the mysteries around his tapes it's very cool and unique and i love how you know it uses other footage from the same timeline that isn't part of that you know the variety shows Mm -hmm. the newsreels the 
tabloidy stuff. It, it all works together super well to give kind of an air of authenticity in a way. Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that, and especially in the context of the Blair Witch Project, because when we talked about that on the show, we talked about how the Blair Witch Project has sort of a level of authenticity to it that most other found footage films that came after have not really been able to achieve, where you can watch it and feel like it is real, like because it feels like it exists so much in the real world, it's so authentic. And this movie does the same thing for me. It feels extremely real well even more so than Blair Witch because Blair Witch you know the core suspension of disbelief is why are you still filming this Mm. you know why are you going around (laughs) still filming this Mm -hmm. and it's like in this movie there's a clear purpose for all of the things filmed you know he is a paranormal investigator yeah who makes well and a show and there's sort of this uh this like wraparound narrative or like the bookends where like a late night like paranormal uh or or like unexplained events kind of show where they set it up as like this uh this filmmaker this paranormal investigator this journalist kobayashi uh, you know, was working on this documentary, this investigation that he was working on called The Curse. And right after he completed it, his house burned down and he disappeared. And nobody has seen him since. And then they're just like, we're just going to play his documentary for you. And then at the end, they come back and add mm-hmm. like some additional context about, you know, like what happened to him after, you know, the documentary. But like the core of the film is his documentary. So like that show, the way they set it up feels very authentic too. It feels very much like a forensic files kind of thing, you know, with the, the deep voice uh, sort of spooky narrator or the footage that you're about to see is extremely disturbing. And then, yeah, you have his his documentary, which, as you mentioned, sort of combines, you know, footage from his investigation, you know, that his cameraman took, but also clips from Japanese variety shows, uh, news clippings, stuff like that, that are part of the story. It is like like a docu you know, like you would for a real documentary. And I think that the film is grounded enough in its world building and its lore that it never feels ridiculous to the point of unbelievable. Even with some of the like really creepy, shocking stuff that happens at the end, it still feels like it it could be like grounded in reality. It doesn't do too much to like show the artifice behind it. Mm-hmm. And I think it uses CG just subtly enough that in the context of the film it works and it hasn't aged poorly. I don't well, think. I think yeah, that's great. It, it, the CG is masked by it being sort of archival VHS tapes and, you know, the quality is like what you'd see like searching YouTube for uh, an obscure Japanese 
TV show. And, you know, it's largely masked by the grain and, yeah, the other, like, camera effects. Um, And it's used sparingly, importantly, and most importantly. A lot of the horror stuff is is very atmospheric and sort of uh, contextual. Yeah, like, some of the compositing can be a little fuzzy, but for the most part, like, it's it's usually, like, like ghosts in the background that you might not even catch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it works quite well in that respect. Um, Ben, you, you, uh, you brought up Blair Witch, for instance. I think the the biggest comparison that I, I I made was Paranormal Activity. The fact that this came out years before uh, alone. When I when I think of Paranormal Activity, like the the quintessential sequence I think of is like the footage of but the character like standing up and just kind of standing there for like hours as it fast forwards and whatnot. Mm. And like that sequence is here. Like, there's a this there's is, a similar they do moment. that. Yeah, yeah, they do exactly that. And like uh, like the fast forwarding and all of it, where she's just standing for like a really uncomfortable amount of time um, before she even does anything. Uh, how many years before, like, uh, like three, I want to say yeah. three or like, four. I think the first Paranormal cool. Activity came out in, like, 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, this was was in 05. But, uh, Just another instance of, like, finding, like, another source, you know, for something. Like, it's yeah, really cool. And, you know, I, I don't even know if this would have been any sort of inspiration for Paranormal Activity because... I this, can see that. This movie... Well, most importantly, this movie did not get, like, a U.S. release. I think that's part of the reason why it's still so kind of obscure and outside of the conversation of, like, other J-horrors from the same era, The Ring, The Grudge, Pulse to a slightly lesser degree, stuff like that, that importantly got American remakes that turned people on to those. And a lot of people have still only seen the American remakes. But Yeah, and I feel like, from what I understand, a lot of the cult following behind this film was built off of it being on YouTube and kind of discovered organically to U.S. audiences. Yeah, I, I wouldn't... I, I didn't know that it was on YouTube, but that wouldn't surprise me. I know that its first official... U.S. release was only in 2017 on Shutter. I mean, like bootleg YouTube, right? right? Yeah, and like that's kind of a perfectly fitting place to have it for for found footage horror. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because like the video quality kind of works especially well. Lends itself to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that since this movie has sort of made its way internationally in the last few years, like it has started developing like a pretty good cult following. Um, but man, I would love to see it get to be as as popular as some other J horror movies because, like, man, this this movie does so much right in terms of of horror, but also just like the medium of found footage. It's so excellent. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly dense too. Like, yes, I, I feel like in a lot of respects, it's a slow burn. But at the same time, they give you so much to chew on that it doesn't feel boring. Yeah, well, it's it's a slow burn like through the first half, but the latter the latter half is fairly nonstop. The second half on, I I, I felt like every sequence every sequence that came next, I thought was the climax. It kept ramping up. And I had I had a similar experience the first time I watched it. I remember getting to a point. It's a long um, run time. Where yeah, well yeah, the the movie's just over two hours, um, so it is a long movie. But I remember reaching a point. Uh, my, the first time I saw it where I thought for sure, like, this is the end of it. Like this is, mm-hmm. this is the end mm-hmm. and it kept going and I 
like pressed pause to see how much time was left. There was like 30 minutes left. Yeah. I was like, Oh shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's not, and to, to clarify too, that's not to say that like it should have ended at that point. Like it can, it keeps going in really good ways. And I, I really like all of those sequences, but I was like, wow, man, like a, a movie could have ended there and been really good, you know, but it just mm-hmm. continues to push the envelope. But I think part of the authenticity too is that in the first like third of the movie, like it's pretty understated. Yeah. Yeah. Um it is it's very slow and it sets everything up because there's a lot. There's a lot of lore, there's a lot of world building, there's a lot of characters. And it sets the, them all up very naturally. So, like, when you start, when you get to, like, the midpoint of the movie, you really start seeing, like, how all of those pieces are connected. Because prior, they seem like, okay, well, what does this have to do with the last scene we saw or the scene before it? And then it all comes together in a really nice way. But a lot of, like, the variety show and, like, news stuff happens early on it's it sets up a lot of stuff and what i love about it is like the first time you watch it it seems kind of funny like i noticed you laughing a few times cleveland at stuff and part of that is just like how kooky japanese television yeah, is and like the variety shows it's definitely self-aware it is i think so but at the same time it like when you don't know what what all of that stuff <laughs> is setting up, it comes across as very sort of innocuous and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for me, on this rewatch, I had a hard time finding <laughs> that stuff funny because I knew where it all went, and on the rewatch, it added this whole deeply sinister undertone to all of that shit. Yeah. Um, and it they feels do, almost extor- like like extortionism. I will know? say, yeah. in a sense, they do a really good job of adding a sense of dread to a lot of that. Yeah. Like, I think about the psychic children yes. segment. That's the first one we get, and I love that mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that one's done extremely well because, like, you get the basic tropes of kind of over-the-top title cards and yeah. interludes and it's all, stuff. It's all kawaii. It's all so, cutesy. Yeah, sound like, effects. Very, yeah, very exaggerated, very goofy, mm-hmm. uh, cartoonish kind of. But the things they're actually showing are pretty creepy. Yes. Um, that that show is set up as like a, you know, we gathered uh, some of the top psychic children from across Japan uh, and we're going to test how test them to see who's the most psychic. Yeah, who has the high, <laughs> like, yeah, like uh, these children all have like, we're rated on their ESP levels or whatever. Right, and so they have know. this, they, they have this uh, sort of like psychic uh, teacher or whatever who's like very new agey. He's got like long long hair and rings mm-hmm. and stuff and he's like putting all of these like young children like eight nine years old uh through these tests where it's like okay you have like a capsule in front of you there's a picture inside of it so like focus on the capsule and then draw what you think is on the the piece of paper take it out show it we'll see and there's this one child kana who um gets all of them right back to back to back to back to like down to like very specific like minute details but then the last one they like show uh what's in the the thing and it's like some it's like something written in like russian and cyrillic or whatever and like the kids hold up what they drew and she has just drawn this like childlike distorted face 
And that's just like not really addressed. Like what, like what, what's going on there? Like she's gotten all of them right. And why does all of a sudden she, she draw this sort of like weird ghostly face? Well, the follow up is even creepier, right? When they try to test them to add water, manifest to, water yeah. in an empty vet, in an empty, like, uh, test tube or yeah, something. yeah yeah and she does she she gets water in it but there's a hair in the water mm-hmm. and they like test it they they take it to like a, a dna lab and they test it and they're like uh yeah like this is probably like a human infant's hair in like pond water yeah. Yeah, they it's said like, like yeah, yeah, the like, pH levels match yeah, like we, the the, found, the, ri- the river bodies of like this area. We found microscopic like plankton <laughs> in it. So it's like it's probably from, you know, like a lake or a stream or something, and it has a, a hair in it that we think is probably like a human infant. And then it's just it just moves on to the next <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. 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 Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um while we're on the subject of weird characters. As well, I did want to mention one of my other points of praise just opening up about this film is how kooky and memorable each of the characters are. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've mentioned before, but like at uh, Dread XP, we do like a like a public movie night thing where we like twice a week where we watch, you know, found footage movies. Uh, we've been doing this for like well over the course of a year and uh, I've seen a lot of found footage movies. We do like like three or so a night. So I've just been banging these fuckers out. You know, we've watched at this point pretty much every movie that's on like like povhorror.com, for instance, or like, you know, a bunch of like the ones on Amazon or wherever else. The point I'm getting at is that so often they really miss the mark on characterization because, you know, it being a found footage movie, uh, the, the first thought that I think goes through a lot of these creators' minds is we need realism. So our people need to be believable and it sort of forces like a you know a generic veneer over everybody and this this movie does not apply to that like it it gets the weirdest characters it yeah. can find and uh it works so much better for it I, I i love that another film that does a great job of that would be like grave encounters for instance you know yeah. like like they they do a good job of having like characters in that movie yes yeah i think you're right i i think a lot of found footage filmmakers falsely equate like realism with like boring yes it's like oh we got to make our characters generic because it's going to make them more realistic and it's like no that has nothing to do with it like the real world is full of like very interesting eccentric you know memorable people mm-hmm. and you can absolutely have those kinds of characters in your authentic found footage movie and i think this you're right this movie does a good job of it and it it feels believable because the subject matter is esoteric like paranormal shit you know, so the people that they're interacting with, that the filmmaker is interacting with, are people who are connected to sort of that, like, world of the paranormal. And those people, in real life, don't tend to be what I would call, like, average folks. No. And, uh, not at all. <laughs> sure, and there's a medium specificity to it, right? Like, totally. as, a, as making a documentary goes, you want to have interesting subjects, and you want to exactly. have interesting people in your movie... So it makes sense. And I think the the whole medium specificity aspect of this movie is just nailed between the variety shows and like the documentary segments. It kind of reminds me in that respect of Poughkeepsie tapes, right? Like yeah, that's, it takes yeah, that's another great it example. takes the medium specificity of like for example with Poughkeepsie tapes like a crime documentary essentially and 
recontextualizes them. Whereas this feels like the same way. Like it takes some of those quirks of the mediums it's working with and yeah. uses it to recontextualize what's going on. And it ramps it up. Because here's the thing, right? Blair Witch is largely the only found footage movie to get away with tricking people into thinking it's real. It's real. Right? Ever since then, the reality is you know you're watching a fictional film when you're watching a found footage movie, unless you were just really born under a rock, right? Like, you know it's not real. Otherwise, like, you would be watching a snuff film. Like, it's clear that no one has actually died. We, we know it's not real, so you might as well keep it engaging and entertaining. And the, the fact of the matter, too, is that, like, life itself is so, like, strange and weird often, you know, that people tend to discount those sorts of things. I mean, like, if you just, like, like are in any small capacity a student of history, you know that. Yeah. You know, like, weird shit happens in the real world. It happens every day. Go online. And, uh, <laughs> like, uh, there's no reason not to include that sort of thing in your movie. And, and so often it does better for it. And it's great because then, like, it also holds to the strengths of most good documentaries. Look at all of, like, the the hits over the past, like, couple of decades, right? Tiger King, uh, Jodorowsky's Dune. Like, like all these movies involve really fucking kooky characters, mm-hmm. right? And you just get to sit and, like, watch these people be really fucking weird at you. And um, Grizzly Man's another exactly, great one. That's one of my favorites. Exactly. And uh, I think this film really, like, falls into that. One of my favorite examples, I'll sit back for a minute. It leans comedy, but... God, I love this name. It's The Curse of Professor Zardonicus. I've mentioned it before, I yes, think. Um, but it's it's one of my favorite, like, like character study sort of, like, like found footage movies for that. Because it's, it's all from, like, this one perspective. Like, interviewing this, like, with this one, like, crazy guy. And uh, it works so well for it. Because um, you're just constantly, like, guessing, like, what the fuck is this guy on about? What is he going to do next? And this movie does, like, captures that same feeling. And uh, But here, I feel like I'm being held hostage. And I'm just regularly worried about, about the character. Um, like it, it was really, really immersive for it. Like it, so, yeah. In in every way, it did the opposite. You know, it was very engaging. I think that this movie is the kind of uh, found footage movie where you probably could fool the right kind of gullible person into thinking that it's real. Sure. In a similar way that that Blair Witch did. I I think that it never steps quite far enough outside of the bounds of what is believable. If you're the type who believes in paranormal mm-hmm. stuff, and it's also like it's obscure enough that like if you if you like burned this to like a disc or something and took it to like your dumb friend and was like yo dude i found that we gotta watch this This is fucking crazy this is a a a japanese like paranormal show that aired back in 2005 and it's the craziest shit i've ever seen well that's why i think it worked on youtube so well yeah because it had that word of mouth spread where you know you could just have someone send it to you and be like check this thing out yeah. you know one of one of the cool aspects of authenticity about this movie um that i i read about because like i mean as as americans we would we wouldn't know this but one of the central characters is this actress who they find uh mariko matsumoto who uh is like you know, a little bit psychic. There's this great scene where she and a couple of guys go to, like, an old shrine out in the woods, and, uh, you know, she sort of has, like a, a, like, a seizure or something and starts screaming, and, like, you sort of see a ghostly figure in the background. Anyway, so she gets sucked into the investigation. That woman is a 
real actress in Japan, like playing herself in that movie. Yeah, she is a she is a recognizable uh, Japanese like TV actress and voice actress like from that era. So in yeah, so uh, and you know going under her real name. So in the in this film, so in Japan, like it people would watch this movie and they would see like a celebrity that they actually know in this movie as themselves. It, it it's like, I'm trying to think of like, who's a good example, uh, like of like a TV actress from like America from like the mid two thousands. Like if fucking Jennifer Garner or something was in, <laughs> was in like Blair Witch Project, like as herself in, or getting possessed by a demon or something. Sure. I saw that, uh, I was looking at her credits earlier, uh, and, uh, saw that she is the, the Japanese, uh, voice actress for one of the like big final fantasy characters from like the early ones. Oh, dope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Riku, I think, hmm. who might also be in kingdom hearts. I don't know. I don't know JRPGs. Um, Same. but, uh, when I pulled up her IMDB, it's just final fantasy, final fantasy, final fantasy. <laughs> um, what a neat thing to do. And again, like another great example that, uh, in a lesser movie that that character would have just been another person who had a weird ghost encounter once. Yeah. You know, like, in, but instead like, yeah, like she's a, She's an idol. She's a she's a celebrity actress, you know, like who right. who does like found footagey horror things already. So it makes sense like in real life that she would be there. And yeah, the idea of like her encountering like a real ghost event is cool. Like very kind of gives me like Scooby Doo vibes, you know, in a way a too. Bit, yeah, yeah, you get that? Like it's fun. Well, yeah, she, like they just interview her like a couple times at the beginning, but then as they discover more, it's like they have to go back to her to, you know, uh learn more than she gets involved to the point where like she ends up going with them to do the the demon ritual you know later mm-hmm. well because she's uh she's very integral to the plot yeah. yes yeah very much so speaking of weird characters what did y'all think about the super psychic i love him favorite he's, character in the movie he, yeah he's one of he's my the best. favorites yeah He's he's a really interesting character because like he's eccentric to the point of like being goofy, but I also find him like a very kind of tragic figure as well. Like I I feel bad for him a lot of the time because he's presented at you know initially as like a schizophrenic, as like a total kook. Like he's the super psychic or whatever. So he's kind of like a local celebrity, but he wear he wears a literal tinfoil hat. Like clothes. He, all he his has, clothes are tinfoil. Yeah, his, yeah. yeah he, he he wears a coat that's completely lined with tinfoil. You know, he's he's always spouting off these crazy theories about he keeps talking about ectoplasmic worms, you know, they're they're coming and they're taking people away. They're coming from space and taking people away. And And, you know, so it's easy to kind of write him off, but at the same time, especially as he becomes more integral to the plot, like, it becomes clear that he's not mentally ill, he's, like, genuinely connected to something, uh, something something Mm otherworldly that has, uh, in true Lovecraftian fashion, driven him mad. Well, it's, like, um... Uh, I've entered this before, but, you know, like, there's a lot of, like, cool theory that, um, and consideration in, like, psychological communities that, like, historically, people with schizophrenia, you know, like, held cultural positions as, you know, like, witch doctors, shamans, oracles, Mm -hmm. like, you know, all over the world. And um, that even though, like, 
he's not necessarily like a fully functioning member of the community. Um, he still has function in his community. And, um, yeah. uh, and so he is in that sense. Like he's, he has a, he has an acting role. I thought that was really cool. Like, cause he's got his own little house, you know, like he's, uh, you know, love like a, the, I love the production, the set design. It's of so yeah. good. It's, it's, um, Ooh, ooh I'm getting just chicken like, skin. Yeah, grimy, just, grimy, just like bags of garbage everywhere, but also like, all the walls and ceiling are like covered in tin foil and he's got like notes like pieces of paper with like scrawled notes all over the place and writing all over the walls all, writing all over the walls well. he's always like uh you know he's got kind of like uh itchy skin like a drug addict like he's constantly scratching but it's because likely because he doesn't bathe too well because he doesn't bathe but also when they ask him about why he surrounds himself with the tin foil it's to stop the tingling Mm-hmm. To stop the tingling, that means the worms are nearby, you yeah. know, is, and, and he can feel them tingling. So he's like constantly moving and like scratching and like pulling at his body because he's just under, uh, you know, constant psychic assault. Man, uh, I gotta tell you, like there are, there are some like roles in acting or like some performances that just fucking tra- like, like, uh, translate well beyond like the language barrier. And I think this is a great example of one, like absolutely. it is, it is is so like so clearly like well acted like like there's like his his physicality is so believable like he really does feel like someone like suffering from some sort of mental illness yeah. like it didn't feel like like a campy. crazy like a like, crazy person that you'd see on the street right know? and like, like his it, presentation um at first is uh uh really unique because they they introduce him during an like a yeah, live they, interview they bring him in. yeah and they're like yeah. yeah the super psychic who believes in ectoplasmic worms coming to the stage you know and they, well, yeah it's it's after they show the the clip of mariko going to the shrine and like having her episode and then it like kind of zooms out and it's like at like a little public event, you know, mm-hmm. where she's on stage talking about it. And Great like, format. Well, yeah, it's like, oh, well, we brought in a super psychic to like test you and see how psychically sensitive you are. And then this guy comes <laughs> in and like as soon as they get him up on stage, like he starts screaming and like attacking them. He, he le- well, he leaps on her. Yeah, he yeah. leaps on her and starts screaming about the pigeons, the pigeons. And it's one of those things where you think like, ah, crazy guy talking about the pigeons, you know, yep. but uh Nope, that that all has uh, yeah. significance as like, well. The like you, you were saying, like with the uh, the ja- like the with the TV show, like how it's like it's kind of funny at first, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, but like on second viewing, it was like really really moving. I can see that for this as well. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, if I could like kind of summarize like that that feeling for me on a first viewing, it, there was a lot of like <laughs> oh <laughs> like yeah. oh god like um, this is such a great example of that because like like crazy people talking about pigeons is like you know like that's. That's expected, but yeah, like it's to have that go in any direction is not, and yeah. it rules. Yeah, well, and he, he's such an erratic character that he feels like a genuinely destabilizing force within mm-hmm. the movie, and you know the fact that they take that and tie it together with things that are happening kind of make him more complex and well-rounded in a really cool way where it feels like, oh, he's not just the crazy guy who's unhinged and is chaotic and adding chaos to the movie. There is something to it. He actually is a shaman. Yeah, he's he's absolutely connected to what's going on here. And, like, I feel sorry for him, too, because he is, like, clearly 
living in a state of constant fear and terror and they uh like kobayashi keeps like bringing him back into it you know keeps like sucking him back into it not out of like not in like a, a way that's necessarily exploited no he's trying anything, to help yeah but because he's like i need your help to figure out what the fuck is going on here like he's a girl missing so. yeah and well yeah that's that's when he you know really starts to take him seriously because after you know they they go to to visit him at his house and this is after uh kana the girl from the variety show has gone missing kobayashi goes to visit her at her house she starts like freaking out during dinner that scene is great where she just kind of like slumps over and then just sort of like slowly and then really fast like all of the dishes just get like pulled off the table thought Mm -hmm. that was executed very well oh well it's Um, perfect because they get pulled off the table and then the parent all in the same shot the afterwards the parents um sort of we have the setup in that shot then then the dishes off the table and then uh the parents usher her into the room and we have this wonderful shot where kobayashi sort of left standing there alone for some looking at the door and we hear something and he turns over and he looks at the table and there's still this like spoon that's been broken in half and the head of the spoon is just still spinning spinning. Mm -hmm. well after it should have stopped and it rules like it's so like it's so well done because like like they'd have to have like a like like a magnet or something under the table or or just someone behind the cameraman like giving it a spin right before he turns yeah i think that's more like more likely what happened is just like right before he turns around somebody just spun it yeah but like it's it's really proficient to have like so many cues going on in one shot like in a in a small honestly it's not a small production but it feels like one yeah and uh i like i like too that it's the the spoon It, it feels like a nice little a little play on like the the psychics the psychic spoon bending stereotype there is um, no spoon there's no spoon <laughs> um, uh but yeah so after she goes missing um her parents tell kobayashi it's like well there's this man who's been visiting her before she went missing this guy who's like wearing like a tinfoil hat and uh but you know kana always said he's like he's not a threat to me you know, um, so then they go to see the super psychic, uh, Hori, I think is his name. And, you know, he's just like particularly agitated. He's talking about like the worms got Kana, the worms ate Kana. And then he like sort of draws them this, uh, like really shitty map. Uh, it's more just like, like a drawing of a building and he's like blue building. And then he sort of just like vaguely waves in like a direction. Yeah. You know, and they're like, like, they get a map and they try to like pin it out, but like he's, he's so lost. He can't like, yeah, they spend like days. They spend like days looking all over the city for like a blue building. Uh, that's like the same number of stories or whatever. And eventually they find it and they're like, man, it even has the exact, he even got like the exact number of windows right and in one of the windows there he drew like a bunch of lines coming out of it he's like that's where the worms are coming from Ugh. um and it's great because they i i they do this little they do like a little stakeout like watching and they like zoom in on that on that like balcony and there's like a bunch of pigeons out there and at one point like this guy just like walks outside onto the balcony just reaches out grabs a live pigeon and just turns around and walks back inside and it's 
like, what the fuck? fuck? Like, yeah. like, and the way he grabs it is not like how you see a pigeon handler grab a pigeon too. It's just like, he just like reaches out and just like, just like manhandles it and yeah. like pulls it back into the house. It's, he doesn't, he doesn't grab it in a way that like somebody who's not trying to hurt the bird would. Yeah. Like, he yeah. just sort of reaches out and grabs it. Yeah. It, oh, I don't know. And just turns around and goes back inside. It's so unsettling. Yeah. And like, I know that like, he almost certainly is a pigeon handler. Like, Probably. And, and like knows how to handle pigeons or whatnot or, or was instructed on it. This movie has a number of pigeon related stunts, but, um, uh, yes. <laughs> lots of pigeons, in this <laughs> which movie. rules, but, uh, again, too, and just to give you that moment where where it kind of clicks and it's like, oh shit, pigeons are relevant. Yes. Well, the the very first like sequence of Kobayashi's documentary is, you know, he that kicks it all off. He goes to see this woman who's like, yeah, I've, I've been hearing like these strange sounds like coming from the neighbor's house. Like it sounds like crying babies. It's like really weird and creepy. And he goes over to the neighbor's house and like knocks on her door and he's met by like this woman who just comes out like screaming at him, just like how the f- how how can you talk to me this way? You yeah. know, well, she she, she says anything. it royally, doesn't she? Say like us, right? Like or whatever. Uh, like, well, no, oh, no, she she just acts like royalty. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like she's like how like how dare you speak to address me, that me way? this way? Yeah, yeah. How, yeah. And you know, just kind of comes out and like drives them away. But like then they're looking around her house, and there's like a bunch of dead pigeons. Uh, that's like the first time we we see the pigeons, and you know, then when they're walking away, they look back at the house and see like what looks to be like a little boy sort of peeking out through the window, and they catch a strange sound on on audio that they get like enhanced by like a, a, a forensic audio guy. Could be a cat, but sounds like multiple babies. Well, yeah, that's what he's like. Yeah. He's like, I thought it was a cat, but like the cat cats don't like make the sound that repetitive. And like the inhalate, like you see this here, that's an inhalation on the end. So like cats don't do that. It, it's, it's in a pattern of like a crying baby and there's about five of them. So the sound would suggest that there's, this is the sound of like five crying babies. So like that's that's weird. That's right? odd. Yeah, that's strange. And, well, it was fun too. Like like uh, I I even got a giggle like at the beginning of the film when uh the camera kind of pans to show like a dead pigeon on the ground or whatever, and I was like, oh how very art. You know, it's kind of like artsy filmmaking. You know, like like ooh the dead pigeon is like resemble like it's represents like, something it's like or Witch it's Project. kind of spooky. It's but like, like the Blair Witch Project when they find the dead mouse and they like zoom in on it and Heather's like. What killed this dead mouse? Yeah, yeah. like and they, yeah, and like it's fun in, in Blair Witch too because it's tongue, tongue in cheek. But like yeah. um, uh, as well. But like here, yeah, it had that same kind of vibe. So I kind of giggled at it a little bit. Um, well, and it wasn't until about, like halfway, yeah. halfway or like two thirds of the way into the film, I was like, oh, that's right, the pigeons. Yeah, it, at the all, beginning because like, I didn't think stuff, about it when yeah. he was like storming or storming the stage. All of this Either. stuff seems goofy enough, you know, on a first viewing, but then once you get context later on, it all takes on this much more sinister tone. Yeah. On the subject of uh, the the audio uh, guy, they go back to him at one point because, you know, Mariko comes back to Kobayashi and is like, you know, I, I haven't been sleeping well, like, I've been hearing some weird noises and stuff. So he's like, well, let me set up a camera uh, in your room and record you while you're sleeping and see what happens. 
And, uh, oh, and, and she had, like, this, uh, this piece of, like, yarn that had been tied into sort of, like, these strange, like, the strange looping pattern. She's like, I don't remember doing this at all. She's like, okay, we're gonna set up a camera in your room, see what's happening. And, you know, in the middle of the night, that's the paranormal activity kind of scene that you were talking about. You know, we see her get up out of bed. She, uh, takes, like, a, um... It's a lamp. Yeah, she takes a lamp with, like, a very long cord, and we see her, like, walk out of the balcony door. And, like, the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, well, she's going to hang herself. Of yeah, course, that's what know? I thought. Like, that's sort of what it sets up. Because she goes off screen with it. Yeah, she takes it out onto the balcony, and we can't see what's going on out there. Yeah, maybe like, mad nervous. It's like, okay, she's going to be dead or whatever. And uh, But then, no, she comes back in and gets back in bed and goes to sleep. Which is the worst, almost. Well, right, because then they, <laughs> you know, they, they come... Um, they they go outside after watching that they go outside in the balcony and the cord of the lamp is like tied in the same like weird looping knots like on the the railing of the balcony but more importantly when they're analyzing the tape while she's gets up out of bed and is standing there they hear a strange sound so they got to take it back to the audio guy to isolate and enhance and what they hear is a disembodied voice that says only one word, Kagutaba. And so that sort of like that that is sort of the point where I feel like the movie like picks up in a big way because it gives it like much more particular focus. Like, okay, now we have what is Kagutaba? What does yeah, that mean? Yeah, it's really when the gears start turning in the film. So Kobayashi sets out to figure out what uh, what Kagutaba is. Doing a lots of research, can't find anything. Nobody knows until he finally comes across a, uh, a historian who specializes in sort of like obscure uh, like rituals and folklore in Japan. And uh, he finds uh, like a book from like a couple of hundred years ago about like a a small town somewhere in Japan that was founded by uh sorcerers. I will say the the process of him finding this historian was kind of funny cuz he had just a big list of names <laughs> and he's going one by one and just calling each one. He'd be like, like, "Have you ever heard the word Kagutaba before?" <laughs> and they're like, "Uh, Kagutaba, what's that?" <laughs> All uh, right, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> uh so he finally finds this guy and there's this town that uh, several hundred years before uh, when it was founded was founded by uh, a group of sorcerers. So the town uh, sort of carried on like many rituals throughout the years. And uh, one of their rituals was a, uh, a summoning of a demon, Kagutaba. The historian tells him that the name is made up of the kanji characters for spirit, tool, and destruction. So it's a, a demon that, uh, you know, the, the sorcerer would summon and inflict as like a curse upon his enemies to basically like destroy his life. But then eventually Kagutaba started disobeying the sorcerers, so they had to uh, imprison it uh, in a shrine in the mountains, and they had to do this ritual every year to appease the the demon to keep it from wreaking havoc but this town has since been destroyed uh for the construction of a dam it was flooded so uh he finds out that basically 
because there's been nobody to do the ritual every year, uh, Kagutaba is uh, is pissed and pissed. Uh, and has uh, start, started going off and sort of wreaking havoc. Um, and that's where all of the different uh, threads sort of start to connect. And that's sort of like where the film really like picks up speed in a big way. I really love the approach they take to showing that because they almost have like anthropological kind of footage from the the tribe yes um from the they say that uh the one of the historians this is a different historian who's like father used to live in the village or something and the last time they did the ritual before the town was destroyed they filmed it so that's some some very cool like archival footage from I think it's from like the late 70s or something of um this ritual where you know like one one person in the town like dresses up as the demon and they do this whole sort of uh like ritual where the the priest the high priest of of the town or whatever um does you know, some stuff to uh, to appease and quiet the demon. Most and importantly, they bow once, clap four, four times, times, and then bow again. Yes, it's uh they they make uh they uh make a big deal about this is a very a very special way of bowing. This is the only town in Japan where they did this kind of bow. And yeah. like in other sort of uh uh Shinto rituals and stuff, it's like what is it? It's like two bows, two claps, and then one bow or something like that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, nobody's doing four claps, a bow, four claps, and a bow. And I, no. I liked that. I really I thought that was a really cool touch. I thought that was neat. Yeah. And so in this ritual, you know, we, we see that uh, after the, the priest does the special bow, then the woman who is dressed as Kagutaba sort of collapses and um, seems to become possessed. But it's not any woman. Oh, no. It's the lady. Yes. Well, that's that's what we find out later is that the, the woman who's possessed is the daughter of the priest and it is the same woman that we saw at the very beginning, who's in the house, who sort of came out and yelled at him and had all of the uh, dead pigeons lying around her, her house. So uh, Kobayashi sort of tries to find out more about her. She, after the, the village was destroyed, she like went to nursing school in Tokyo, and he found out that she, after she graduated, was working at a hospital where they performed illegal late-term abortions. Uh, and there are some rumors going around the hospital that uh, she uh, might have been stealing the fetuses from yeah. those abortions for uh, some sort of unknown reason. Well, a touch I think that's really neat is how, uh, like— traditionally and again this is not a subject i'm i'm very familiar with uh i uh but like traditionally in japan from what i understand like um like in theater or in like or like positions of nobility or samurai whatever like like adopted like certain speech mannerisms that were like more like uh, sort of intense you know like and like anime adopts that a lot in cartoons and there's like a running gag where it's like it's the equi- like if you were to like to talk to a uh, a Japanese person like with the- and again I do not have any knowledge in the subject but I, I, there was a neat thing I heard once um, 
Uh, but like if you talk to like someone like with that kind of inflection, like it's the equivalent of like speaking to an American, like like Peter Griffin from Family Guy. Like, <laughs> like, and I said that was really funny. Like, yeah, or like like yeah, like talking to someone like your Homer Simpson, it doesn't translate. And the idea of like like you know like uh, uh like, like anime nerds and like weebs like uh you know thinking that they sound all cool like really it's like you sound like you sound like a fucking cartoon character like it's not how like people fucking talk and she adopts those mannerisms like when she answers the door like she's very grandiose about it and mm-hmm. and like not just like in like just her statements but like yeah in her inflection you know and it's like what are you doing here like is like the kind of the tone yeah. that she takes on and it's uh and and the, the, the documentarian like a uh, kobayashi is just kind of like oh, my bad yo like sorry <laughs> and at least he's like the nerve like what the yeah, fuck like what like, was that about what do you do when you go up to somebody's yeah. house and they come out and start like screaming at you immediately it's like uh okay my bad yeah. see you later <laughs> Well, yeah, that's that's how they find out that it's the same woman from the beginning, because he's like, oh, well, I want to talk to the priest's daughter, you know, and sort of like figure out what's going on. So he goes to the village where like uh, the the people from the, the destroyed village have been sort of relocated to. We see around the town they still stick to a lot of like the superstitions, like they all have dogs because the dogs were used in rituals. They like scare away the evil spirits. They all hang um, a, a sickle, a farming sickle above the door to keep evil spirits away. But he finds this house that is just absolutely covered on the outside in like the the weird sort of like looping coiled like rope and cord and stuff that he saw like Mariko making and also covered in these like drawings of um it's like really weird sort of like spider webby patterns with like little holes and stuff uh that he saw Kano uh, had drawn on some of her stuff and then, like, goes and knocks on the door, and this woman comes out and starts screaming at him again, and then, like, goes back inside, and he leaves. Is like, wait a second. That's the same woman from before. It's a different house, isn't it? Yeah, it's a different house. Yeah. Well, because the— Because she was giving the fetuses and the rest of it from another place. Right, yeah. well, because uh, the, the house at the beginning, um, when he goes back to that woman, he's like, yeah, she, mo- she and the, the little boy moved out, like, a couple of days after your last visit. So yeah, she's she's moving around, um, and she that that's where uh, the new place where she's she's taking up residence. But um, yeah, I made a joke while watching the movie, and I don't remember what it was, but it's about blasting ropes because there are the knots everywhere. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I thought it was funny at the time, but I can't remember what the damn joke was. I did really like, uh, yeah, the, the aspect with like the dogs all being gone when they return again later. Yes, um, back to the town later. Actually, reminded me, uh, there's a film that uh, uh, Epic Pictures, which the company I'm under is a subsidiary of, uh, produced recently, which is uh, The Howling Village. Um, which is the same director as, I, I believe it's The Grudge. I believe it's the original Grudge director. But it also involves, like, a, a town with a dam and uh, that's, like, washed over and, like, the, the rituals involving dogs. Mm. And it really digs into, like, the some really wild ideas like with like the 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 dog rituals and stuff. Um, the Howling Village is an awesome movie. I would I would definitely recommend it. It gets it goes places, but um, it's 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 cool. It, it, it has some really cool like kill sequences in it. Like, yeah, it was a pretty good big fan of that movie. Well, so at, at this point, Mariko goes to stay with Kobayashi and his wife because uh, one of her her friends and colleagues, another actress who lives in the apartment above her, uh, kills herself. 
at one point. Uh, she and six other people, including the guy who grabbed the pigeon uh, off the balcony, hang themselves in a park for some reason. And uh, so, you know, Mariko's very freaked out by all of this, you know, she, all this supernatural stuff. So she goes to stay with Kobayashi and his wife. And uh, there's there's a great scene where, like, she's made lunch for Kobayashi's wife and they're getting ready to sit down. And she just sort of, like, stops and uh, starts doing this sort of, like, hideous groaning sound. It doesn't sound like it's coming from her. No. Either, which I love. Uh, it sounds it sounds like an old dude, you know, like like an old elderly man groaning. And so it's really confusing, like it coming from her. I, I really like that. And as she's doing that, uh rapid fire uh three pigeons hit the window. Um, which it's it's very it's very well done, uh, but it's it's hard to not think of uh how they did it logistically with somebody just standing off a frame just like throwing fake pigeons or real mm-hmm. dead pigeons just at the window the silhouette is great uh, too like when it, it bat- batches like the wall like it um, or the window um you can really see because it's like fog glass you know mm-hmm. so like you can see like the silhouette of like the the bird and the wing like as it is it smacks um because like you don't see the first one but you do see the second and the third that was really well done so uh you know then mariko is even more freaked out because she remembers uh hori the super psychic you know yelling at her like the pigeons the pigeons and then you know these three pigeons have banged into the window and are dead and so she thinks that uh well this is a sign that i'm that i'm next that i'm going to die it's so cool too because like in that sequence where he's introduced like he leaps on her and he starts shouting like the pigeons the pigeons and you think in the moment like he's attacking her yeah um and it's not until like you get the context afterwards and you see this character for a little bit more that you realize that he actually is kind of like a sweet person who means well like and he's he's almost like childlike and yeah. uh when he leapt on her and was shouting pit the pigeons pigeons it was out of concern for her yeah well, and it's a really cool like yeah, like paradigm const- shift he's constantly afraid like he's hysterical through fear mm-hmm. he's like all yeah. the time yeah. um so mariko and kobayashi come up with a plan they're like well, maybe if we go to the site of the old village and take a boat out there and do, like, the special ritual, then it will appease Kagutaba and this will all be over and we'll be, you know, we'll be okay. And this is kind of the the climax of the film, although there's there's quite a bit that happens after it. Um, but, you know, they go out there, they take, they take Hori with them um, and... Uh, he and the cameraman stay on shore as Kobayashi and uh, Mariko go out into the boat. They take a little cloth rope and a sickle and they pull, hold it tight across and cut it like they do uh, in the ritual. And they do, uh, she does the, the bow, four claps and a bow. Um, and after she does it, she kind of like slumps over for a second. It's like, uh, what's going on here? And then she sits up and he's like, Hey, are you okay? And she's like, Oh yeah, I feel much better now. Yeah. And like it, it's spooky. And like, it's cool. Cause like going into it too, like she knows what she's in for. She believes in it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like she's, yeah. she's, she's really pretty, she's pretty scared. Yeah. Knowing that like, yeah, I'm going to let like a demon embody me for a minute. Like, yeah. so we can end this. 
Um, and like knowing that she has to do something terrible like that, like to, to make it stop is, uh, pretty compelling. Like I was, I was pretty, pretty nervous for her and like the, the pause before she, she does the bow and mm-hmm. the claps is, is really anxious. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a really anxious moment. I, I, I liked that a lot. It's like, man, I don't know what the fuck they expected. Like in the last video or in the video where they, they saw the last ritual, like when they did that, like the person, became like fully possessed so like i don't know what they expected was going to happen but as soon as they do the ritual i I like that like it cuts back to uh the cameraman and the super psychic like on the shore and the super psychic just starts like screaming and he's like he's like yelling at them is like get away from there like come in you have to come in now you know the worms are coming (laughs) uh and when they get back to shore, then uh, he just sort of like takes off running into the woods. And Kobayashi is like, he tells his cameraman, he's like, hey, you take Mariko home. You know, I'm going to go after him and see what's up. What are, what are the best like examples of like an invisible threat? I've seen it in a yeah. movie like like no budget required like they're just they're just out on a boat and this guy's like screaming about invisible worms coming yeah. to eat them and you you buy it a little bit like well, yeah, you that, feel it in the air that adds to the authenticity like if there was like a CG demon or ghost or something that like yeah, attacked that. them out there then all of a sudden it you know it becomes unreal again mm. like it's still maintaining this like extremely high level of realism and and authenticity like supernatural subject matter aside and one of the things I think is is really like designed to strengthen that aspect is sort of like the obscurity of like a lot of the weird spooky stuff like around Kagutaba like we know it has something to do with like the pigeons but like we don't really ever get any exposition about what that's about you know the what's with the ectoplasmic worms Kobayashi is like well you know we think that what you think of as the worms is this this Kagutaba demon or whatever but what's the deal with like the the looped rope stuff like the weird drawings like all of this it like it's just sort of like atmospheric world building that never really has any sort of explanation like there's there's a couple of like expository moments you know where we learn about like the the ritual and like kagutaba and stuff but it still leaves enough of that shit unexplained that with textural grip you can put the pieces together yourself in some capacity like for instance like my personal theory is like that the worm they're not like literally like like ghost worms it's just like the best way he can describe it like it's just like the 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 supernatural like spectral force is wormy well i think the 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 explanation isn't necessary really no so, it's like, better it's way better yeah, without way better yeah. absolutely like it's it's delving into sort of a cosmic horror that yeah. is unexplainable you know exactly and like we haven't really talked about this but like at one of the parts earlier where they go to visit the super psychic and he you know sort of sort of starts freaking out there's some like visual glitches in the camera in the footage that they then go back and like slow down so you can see what happens and it's like visual tearing it's like you can see something on the other side and it looks just like dozens of these like weird little white sort of distorted ghostly faces like what what kana drew uh um on the variety show and like that also sort of like feels like 
the worms to me. Like, I just imagine, like, these weird little ghost worms with, like, these creepy little human faces, you know? I'm glad you brought that up, because the other function that sequence serves that I think is really well used in the film is you introduce, like, the idea of these images being within the glitched effects. Mm -hmm. And so every time a visual glitch happens in the movie, you're looking for something mm-hmm. and you're on edge because of it. And yeah. it's nice because it's not ever overdone yeah. either. It's like that, that is the only time where like we really get that hard, you know? And like, we get this like really spooky little glimpse. It's also nice too. Cause when they do like the, when they slow it down, so like we can see what's happening, they, in, they include the audio track too, which is just like the, dude screaming so that slowed down over like these really ghostly images is just like very very spooky yeah Mm -hmm. very creepy so kobayashi and super psychic run out into the woods it's starting to get dark night is falling simultaneously we see that uh on the way to take mariko back she has another uh sort of fit where she collapses in the backseat of the car and, you know, starts groaning eerily again. Uh, and then when he stop, the cameraman stops the car, she runs out into the woods. And so, like, he's out there chasing her around while Kobayashi's out there chasing Hori around. This all felt very Blair Witch in a good way. But then Kobayashi and, and Hori find this sort of old, collapsed shrine out in the woods well first they find all of the villagers dogs butchered out in the woods when they go back to the village a second time they're like where are all the dogs that we saw the first the first time we came here well they find them all out in the woods um you know torn to pieces and hori is running around screaming for kana you know the worms have kana he's looking for kana uh and then at this you know shrine the the flashlight on the camera goes out and we get just like a couple of seconds where he switches to uh night vision and under the um i forget the the japanese name of like the archways yeah like the, the, there's a specific term for them because they're like they're they're like gateway like spiritual gateways or spiritual something gateways, way. Yeah, yeah and i forget the term for them uh yeah there is there's a specific word for it and i forgot what it is but yeah the tori yeah yeah, yeah. a tori uh archway uh under the the tori there's like an apparition of kana just like absolutely covered in like writhing babies like fetuses just for a split second and then the the flashlight cuts back on absolutely surrounded by them yeah like they're like crawling all over her and and the ground around yeah yeah. it's it's fucking spooky it's a horrifying shot Yeah. yeah because it's like it's the most you see of anything, like, explicitly ghostly in, in the movie, really. And it's CG, but, like, it's so grainy yep. and dark and VHSified that, like, it has an authenticity feel. Yeah, it doesn't, you know? it doesn't really look 
fake. Like, I mean, it looks fake in the same way that, like, anything ghostly would, I think, you know? Like, it, it does yeah, still have its real, authenticity. But... Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, well, of course, we, we do know it's CG. Um, but also, yeah, it's it's so brief, and it's so covered by, like, the night vision and the grain of the film and everything that I think it's aged, it holds up very well. Um, <laughs> it's just a thing of, like, like a, like a comedy film where you introduce the ghosts and they look like really poor CG and like someone says it's like wow yeah it turns out ghosts have just always looked like that <laughs> like, like, damn. it's like yeah that's just what ghosts look like yeah they just look like bad they just like yeah. uh there's like ps1 graphics <laughs> yeah they're they're they're, pe- they're spirits that haven't fully rendered into the afterlife yet <laughs> yeah they're just smooth polygons <laughs> so like i mean I think that just about any found footage horror movie could comfortably end right here, you know? Yeah, uh, there you go. You did it. You, but, you nailed uh, it. Yeah, hey, roll nope, credits. Nope, we've still got like another 15 minute, 15, 20 minutes of the film. Because uh, after this, they're like, uh, uh, Kobayashi's like, well, we we got to do something about this. I got I to gotta figure out what uh, the daughter of the, the priest is doing. So he breaks into her house and uh finds her hanging dead uh in front of like a, a an altar the wall is covered in like little kagutaba masks like the little faces uh very cool image and they find kana dead and the little boy uh from the window, from the window and he's still alive um and <laughs> For some reason, my man decides to adopt him. He uh, he once again is just like, oh, yeah, well, uh, the priestess is dead. Um, so surely the curse is broken, right? <laughs> so I'm just going to adopt this this well, creepy little boy that I found in the house. In his defense, I think that there is like a sense of like responsibility that he hmm. feels as well. Sure. Like I can buy it. Um but yeah, bad, bad idea. Bad, very it's, bad it, idea. It's more, it's more that he thinks that this is over. Yeah, that is, uh, that I think is stupid. Like I can, I can understand uh, his motivation to adopt the boy. That's fine. Um, but the fact that he thinks that, oh, we found the priest is dead, so the curse is broken. Everything's fine now. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, let's go out to the lake and do the ritual, and the curse will be broken, right? Sure, everything will be just fine. And that's just, where just taking the ritual. The ritual. <laughs> That's where, like, his documentary kind of ends. You know, like, they show, again, like, the ghost of Kana out in the woods with the babies. They sort of do, like, a freeze frame. And then we do, like, a, they do sort of, like, a fake cut to credits where, like, you know, it shows Kobayashi's name and, like, the cameraman. But then, like, the, the wraparound narrative uh, forensic file show comes back in. Well, and that's perfect because it allows for them to get away with something that I usually have a problem with in uh, found footage movies, and that's the use of dramatic music. It's like, look, we're supposed to have, like, found this footage. Right. Like, who who would put... Why would you put dramatic music to these actual people dying? Like, that's not, like, really cool. And up until that point, it would make good sense for Kobayashi to have put dramatic music to it in yeah, his he's, documentary he's that he's documentary. Made, making. Yeah, totally. Um... Because he's not just doing found footage. He's he's doing a documentary. So like like exactly. Like he can he can put in music stings up until that point and it stops after that, from what I believe. Well, 
Um, I mean, it, it does in the actual found footage, but, uh, you know, there's still the, the show that's, you know, like the super psychic was committed to a, an institution and he escaped and then was found dead, you know, three days later crammed into like a, like an air vent. Uh, that's pretty graphic. Yeah. Uh, that was a the, horrifying shot. The the crime scene pictures of, well, of, of Hori. It's awful. It's because like in his home he had like the cardboard box that was also like ins- insulated with the mm-hmm. with the aluminum and yeah. so you you get the sense that like he was hiding in that pipe because of like the surrounding metal like just like in the box he's he's crawl he's he's huddled up in a similar way as well as well like, i in mean the pipe. his no like his limbs are all broken like you see like his head and then like his hands and feet like sticking out like, right he is but like, like he's mangled yeah it, you it, get the sense that like like he was like hiding in the pipe and like he got like you know like in that way and then oh, it got it like ripped him up or whatever see, like that's the, to, the sense that i got to me it reads more like something fucking crammed him in there and you know maybe it was out of a sort of sense of irony that like you know he is hiding in like the insulated uh the the aluminum insulated box but like that pipe was like way too small for him to hide in so like something crammed him in there uh and yeah and so and then they're like well uh we got this uh or you know the police got this package right after Kobayashi disappeared and it has like his camera in it and like the tape. So then we with get this final bit of footage. Yep, Here we this go. Last little bit of footage where we see Hori come to his house. Uh, and he's still in like his hospital gown. He's like holding a rock uh, and, you know, he's being very aggressive and, you know, he's, he's saying like Kagutaba lives and Kobayashi is like, no, we broke the curse. Like, it's okay. The, the, the priestess is dead, whatever. Um, oh, we did miss an important bit in Kobayashi's documentary that is, uh, important as well is he goes back to the historian, uh, who found like this scroll that shows like a, uh, painting of the Kagutaba ritual where the the sorcerers would like slaughter a bunch of like baby monkeys and feed them to a medium who would eat them and then use the power to like summon Kagutaba. So that's what uh what Ishii was trying to do with the babies. That's why she was stealing the fetuses. She was feeding them to Kana to use as a medium to uh to summon kagutaba um horrifying yes yeah. uh and also why i don't know why kobayashi thinks that uh she didn't succeed just because she was dead <laughs> um but uh yeah so hori shows up at his house he sort of forces his way in and he attacks the little boy with the rock uh and is like sort of like bashing his head and uh, in in the struggle, we then see, like, the boy stand up. And for a split second, his face is, like, warped into uh, the, the Kagutaba mask face. Like, big, empty black eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a sort of, like, distorted, caved-in head. And behind we see Kama. Yes, yes, we see a, a ghostly apparition of Kana standing in the corner. Mm-hmm. Which I like how subtle that is because it's not like the central focus of the shot. Like it's the boy standing there. 
so it's like if you're not really paying attention like you might miss it also it's on the right and like a lot of like american scares usually come from the left that that sounds a little obscure but like really is that a thing trust me on that yeah i was um we were we were talking about it moving because we were watching you re- is it because you read right to left correct or, or left to right yeah that's exactly why um there's a yeah there's another film we were watching is also j horror it might actually even be the same director because it was part of a series and i believe mm. this director also ended a series afterwards um a very similar title um i can't remember the name of it but in it there's a like there's a sequence it's it's the scariest thing i've seen like in one of these movies like it, it made my fucking stomach just about fall out of my butt to use a weird expression but it's it scared the shit out of me but like um it's just a sequence where a bunch of people are talking in a car and the camera's sort of getting passed around and uh at one point it's it's in the it's in the passenger seat and it's looking back and the people are just chatting or whatever and you don't even fucking see her but there's this girl kind of like ring-esque um like just fucking up against the window just staring at them and she's on the right and you don't see it for a little while and you just oh god like what is she doing there oh no and then you know like it, it just goes back to the conversation or whatever and the people in the car never see her until later like when they're reviewing the footage and it's just like god damn it like Kirk was like sleeping tonight um it's great uh and the i japanese are very good at that kind of shit yeah well i yeah. think it's because of that reason right the subtlety and, and i think it's it's part of it is this isn't just my theory this is um my buddy ted was like bringing this up um so i also forgive if i'm not getting it totally right but like um from what i understand it's also like a point of like it's extra scary like in the translation because like it's more common to like read things like like with that framing in like Japanese television and films and movies. And so like we're we don't expect it in that same capacity as Westerners. And I, I think that's really neat. I, I think that's that's super that's cool. Whether again, like again, I don't know the accuracy of that. I mean, again, I'm not really speaking. That's from really point of authority, interesting. But it is a Do cool you think idea. The, the flip side is true where uh, Japanese yeah. audiences find American horror films scarier. I wouldn't say why not. Maybe, you know, kind of cool if. If true, big if true. Yeah. yeah, who knows? We can maybe we'll do some research on it afterwards. But I, I, I just I, I think it's a neat theory. It's a it's a fun theory. Yeah. So the the film ends with uh, Kobayashi is like sort of incapacitated on the floor. Uh, we see through the camera. Um, uh, Hori takes the little boy by the hand and walks out, leaves, and then uh, Kobayashi's wife walks in with a. Uh, can of gasoline and dumps it all over herself and uh lights herself on fire and the house catches on fire uh and so we know that the, that's how the house burned down and the film ends. it's effectively done too yes. worth worth noting like like uh she's like in the hallway like like flailing and screaming on fire for a good mm-hmm. few few seconds yeah, like it's, very, it's a it's very very well done it is and again too like when this is presented as found footage it's just not expected yeah. like uh like that kind of stunt mm-hmm. and i like too that after that when the movie ends for real there's literally just like a title keiko card there's yeah the the wife's name is keiko mm-hmm. um but uh when the film ends there's literally just like a title card showing the name of the production company of like the the fake show or whatever it was at the end but other than that no credits uh in in true blair wish fashion which is just another i it adds to the authenticity it's like yep over like they they don't they don't uh reveal the hand of artifice and being like yeah the, these are the actors you know this is the director and all of that just uh just ends it no final showdown with the demon nope None of that. The demon is still out there. Fuck you. Kagutaba is on the loose, wreaking havoc. 
cursing more people, presumably killing more pigeons. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, it's scary. It is scary. Yeah. I had some joke about Kobayashi on an impossible mission, much like the Kobayashi Maru in Star Trek. And then uh, Keiko is also a, a character in Star Trek who's married to Miles O'Brien. See, when you say Kobayashi, I just think of, isn't that the name of the famous uh, Japanese... Um, speed eater. Speed eater. Yeah, yeah. It's all the hot dogs. It's the, yeah, like the... The, the Kobayashi the, method. Yes, you, exactly. You dip the hot dogs in, in water, water yeah. and shove them down your gullet. One of my favorite YouTube videos <laughs> is the is it's when, he does, is when he does the hot dog eating contest with the bear. And, <laughs> like, the bear very easily defeats him because it's a fucking bear but like man he is kobayashi is trying yeah he is trying he puts up he puts up a good show but it's funny like he's just like just like super intense like dipping hot dogs in water just like shoveling them into his mouth and just like cuts over to this bear just sort of like lackadaisically like munching on the hot dogs <laughs> uh anyway uh yeah that that covers about everything uh for this movie for me y'all ready to rate yeah, yeah let's rate this uh i'll go first since it was my pick um i mean for me it's uh it's a pretty easy five out of five um i i think that you know it's a very dense movie and i think it definitely offers a lot on repeat viewings i don't think i i loved it as much as i do now after the first time i saw it like right when it ended but it's one of those movies that just like ever since i saw it for the first time it's just been like in my mind all the time like just every now and then i'll just think about something fucking dope and scary from this movie and watching it again with like all of the context for what happens and just like seeing the way it starts putting this puzzle together where you just like you can't see the whole picture until like the end it's just so wonderfully done and so authentic and uh yeah five out of five easy for me Cleveland uh ditto that I uh I really liked this film I thought it, it, it gave me the spookies um I thought it was well written uh and well acted as well it was pretty great um and it really brought me around I, I felt a whole roller coaster of emotions because again like uh, at the beginning I was kind of giggling at it and you know not taking it all that seriously and by the end of it it really wrote me in and even you know even at the beginning like i was i was enjoying cuz like i i i like j horror a lot but you know like when you when you see like a you know a guy shout like beware the pigeons and leaping on somebody like it's hard not to laugh well, that's the thing like j horror <laughs> can be campy just yeah. like you know just like a, a western horror like it can be tonally very serious but it can also be goofy mm -hmm. so like if you don't have any context for this movie it does sort of lure you into like a fall sense of what it is at the beginning is like it does have some kind of goofy moments but then like by the end i it i don't know how you can take it anything but seriously you know what yeah. i mean oh, yeah. um but anyway sorry you're you were rating no 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 that's fine um uh i yeah the, all of those things and uh it it did it it did it really well for me um no big big respect uh yeah easy also an easy five out of five for me that's about it Ben? Cool. Yeah, well, I had a hard time deciding between four and a half and five, but I think this movie deserves a golden pod. Hell yeah. Um, I think uh, this movie takes a little bit to get going, but once it gets going, it gets going. And the 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 process to get there, I, I did enjoy. I like the creativity of kind of using sequenced footage that you'd find on different 
places on TV to kind of tell this narrative. I think this movie is horrifying, just absolutely terrifying. I will say it's the the best movie I've seen with worms in it since Dune. <laughs> five out of five. It's a different kind of worm, baby, but we love the worms. Big worm. Big, big worm. Big worm. Big worm. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's a unanimous five out of five. So Noroi is a golden pod. Um, if, uh, if this sounds like it might be your jam, uh, it is on shutter. I would definitely recommend, uh, checking it out. You know, if, uh, it, it is a bit of a slow burn. So if you're not, if you're not feeling it right away, um, I, I'd say stick with it. It, it pays off in a big way. Uh, and I think you'll, you'll, be satisfied um but anyway almost uh first next week it is uh time for us to wrap up 2021 i can't believe the year's already over it feels like it's still february of this year covid Uh, time baby covid time it hasn't ended yet it's it's not time at all never will um but yeah fuck Don't say that. Yeah, that's the most horrifying. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it won't, right? Like, we're there, right? Like, yeah, yeah we're there. Uh, the the truest horror, but like, there's gonna be a fucking Omni Bomni Flomble variant, like, until, you know, like, until it's, forever. It's, it's the Spanish flu. It's just the flu now. Like, yeah, like, I. Well, yeah, but. Get, go get vaccinated for fuck's sake. Yeah. But, like, Jesus Christ. Like, be, <laughs> let's, let's not end on such a horribly bleak note. Yeah. Um, uh, next week, uh, we will be doing our annual uh, best and worst of the year episode. We're going to be uh, talking about our least favorite films of 2021, as well as our favorites. Uh, and uh, on and I have mentions. a couple special categories for us. And Ben's bringing the potties back. So, uh, yeah, uh, stay tuned next week and uh, join us for our, our end of the year wrap up. Uh, now it's time for. Sponsor! Sponsor! All right. Jingle, jingle. Okay, this week is brought to you by. The biggest, most radical vape rig you can imagine. Parentheses. Think bigger. You looking to vape? Did you read that article about how vaping apparently uh, increases the odds of you getting ED by a large margin? And you still want to vape? Because you like having a flaccid ding-dong? Well, if I got the rig for you... I would rather... I don't know. Yeah, I I saw this like a title on Reddit. I have no idea if that article is actually true or not. Yeah, I need to see the science, but I would rather (laughs) chief fat clouds... I would rather chief fat clouds than uh, have a hard dick. I also (laughs) saw that Viagra apparently... Reduces your chance of autism and not autism. Fuck Alzheimer's. Uh, Alzheimer's. <laughs> it, uh, let me do that again. Yeah, I saw that, that apparently that uh, Viagra reduces your chance of Alzheimer's. So it's just a roundabout way, right, to reduce your chance of Alzheimer's. Yeah, vaping. Vaping. Vaping uh reduces your chance of alzheimer's what if you vape if you vape enough your dick doesn't work so you need to take viagra so then you don't have alzheimer's (laughs) correct so vaping is actually the cure for alzheimer's what if we just cut out the middleman and just vaped viagra (laughs) 
Damn. <laughs> big they brain. Rock big hard. Brain. Big brain. See, the, the sponsor said to think bigger. And we now did. We are. We have. We've, We've thought, done it. We've we thought the there. biggest. Good job, boys. Wow, we did it. We solved Alzheimer's. <laughs> All right, that'll that'll do it for us this week. If you like the show, why don't you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a brief review. Uh, that really helps more than you can know. Every five-star review gets us higher in the charts and into more people's ears. Hearts. Like a, oh, yeah. That rhymes. Um, <laughs> I was, I was, I was more gonna say that we're squir- we're squirming into more people's ears Farts. like big fat ectoplasmic worms. Oh, you know, big fat clouds mm. that fat cure cl- Alzheimer's. <laughs> what if, what if an ectoplasmic worm had a vape? Has anybody ever thought about that? Wow. Hey, I'm wow. going to put it on the record. Our podcast cures Alzheimer's. Yeah, there you go. That's and true. gives it to you simultaneously. We're, we're FDA. Much like a Viagra vape. We're FDA approved. Mm-hmm. Parody, parody, parody. Uh, <laughs> um, Parodies can- nuts. Parodies, yes, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of D's. That joke's still funny, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Just double-checking. Speaking of D's nuts, uh, you can also support us on patreon.com <laughs> slash podpeoplepod, where you can join one of our three different subscriber tiers if you'd like to support the show with a monthly contribution. Uh, Shout-outs to our honorary pod boys, Sam Simon and Sarah Morris. Thank uh, you. We love and appreciate you guys, as always. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at podpeoplepod and at letterbox.com slash podpeoplepod, where not only will you find a list of all the films we've talked about in the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews, you'll also find our golden pods. Naroy's in there now, uh, and is in good company. Uh, so you can check that out on Letterboxd. I'm on Twitter at some spooky snake. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And I'm occasionally tweeting for Light Arc Studios. We put out progress on It Stares Back. Been working on some cool boss related things lately. Cool boss fight stuff. Um, uh, yeah, and you can, of course, find my work on dreadxp.com. If you go to dreadxp.com, you can see all the cool games or working on, as well as cool articles as well for those games. But yeah, we've got some really neat stuff in the pipeline. We've got some neat stuff coming out um, hopefully very soon. Uh, that I can mention in probably the next podcast or so. But, uh, yeah, look forward to that. Get hype. Well, again, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Christmas. What, however you celebrate or don't celebrate the season, we love you and appreciate you, and we are glad that you have stuck around with us and listened to the show. Uh, and, uh, yeah, next week end of the year stuff so come back and 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 do that um birds come on little handle your business for me boy what happened to that boy what happened to that boy what happened to that boy he was talking shit we put a clap into that boy to that boy what happened to that boy what happened to that boy he was talking shit we put a clear to that boy i heard his snitching on a player main say it ain't so even as a young and they consigned me to blow which explains why i'm worth my weight and gold while they was taking baby steps from an a to an o word in the streets that the nb is me enough ice on that watch to make a nigga lose sleep 
magnified face, help the bitch see clearly. Nine on the waist, hit the bitch up severely. I'm known for the flip of that cocaina. I'm heavy in the street like the seven series beamer, man. Hit him with the Nina, man. Or that four fifth guaranteed to lean your man. Whoa, I'm the reason that your block is vacant. Malicious or hit ya. Just to make a statement, bitch. Clips and cash money, who ain't rich? Don't